If you're going on our, uh, this is just for senior adults, on our retreat tomorrow, he'll sing more than one hymn. So uh, anyway, we've enjoyed having him on Wednesday night for sure. And Pastor Stewart is uh, speaking in another venue, so uh, I'm the option for you tonight, and I'm the option for you next week. And if you opt out, it doesn't offend me. I've told you, I'm 56 years old. It would have offended me at 30. I don't care. And part of that is silly, and and, uh, I laugh with you, but part of it is not funny because I am secure in who I am in Christ, so therefore, it's not that I won't receive your encouragement if you give me some, but I don't need it in order to be okay with God because he's made me okay, all right? And the same thing with you. So what I do tonight is, is if you think this is performance, it's not based on my performance, it's based on his performance. Jesus Christ has paid it all, so he's given me a gift to teach. I love to do it. I don't have to do it, but when I'm asked to do it, I just want Christ to be glorified. That's it. And I don't speak my words, I speak his words. Because if I tell you to do something, you're gonna have a train wreck. If God tells you to do something, you should adjust your heart and mind and be obedient to his will. So I'm just the bread man. I'm just the messenger. All I do is give you, I set the table, but I can't make you eat. And so I pray together we could see God's word is true and that it speaks in power and that you will, as well as me, yield to what it says. Because none of us have arrived in the Christian life. We're all on a journey. And Paul is gonna talk about that journey tonight. So Philippians chapter four is where we've been. And by the grace of God, we're gonna finish it next week. And then off my bucket list is, is one more thing I've checked. So I finished the book. Uh, so here we go in chapter four. Remember the flow of the text. I don't have time to revisit everything we talked about in the last two verses, but I'll pick up the pace tonight. Here's what Paul says in 4.10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need or want, for I have learned, keyword, in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Here's a key verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So this is a really powerful passage. And, and the broader context is giving grace. That's the broader context. But the smaller context is this. Living grace, Christ in you, produces giving grace. And giving grace also reflects living grace. So that's what Paul's talking about. It's a beautiful thing. He's basically taking dead aim at at being content. That's what my title is tonight. Taking dead aim. Paul is laser focused and sharp. Remember where he's at. He's in prison. God can't use anybody in prison. 
He's behind bars. God can't use anybody behind bars. No, remember, he's free in Christ. He may be behind bars, but he's free in his heart. So therefore, he's in prison, he's chained, he's got tough times that he's facing and suffering, and yet he writes a thank you letter to the Philippian church for their generosity in supporting him. Only God can do that. Only God can give you the attitude of grace and understanding at a time like this. So he takes dead aim. I think it was two years ago I read about a baseball player on the Texas Rangers. He was playing in the major leagues and he was doing very well. And he, was, he had an injury, I, can't, I think it was a hamstring injury. So he was rehabbing down in AAA ball. And something happened when he went down to AAA ball. He was rehabbing and he got over his injury and he was batting like 450 to 500. He was throwing, uh, uh, he was throwing base runners out all over the field. But something developed in him that was not good. He lost his ability to throw the ball back to the pitcher. He could throw the ball everywhere else on the field, but somehow he was trying to take dead aim at something that was stable and he couldn't hit it. And so what happened was he would bat 450 and he would throw runners out, but he would throw 20 balls either in the dirt to the pitcher, from the catcher to the pitcher, or either all the way into center field. So he never made it back to the major leagues because somehow he couldn't take dead aim. Now listen to me. This is important to understand. Paul, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, had the ability to take a dead aim shot at contentment. And he just goes over the rails with how Christ in him is the power in him to do what he could never do on his own. And even when he's writing a thank you note to the Philippians, he's able to do it with grace and understanding. You see, even when you pen a thank you note to somebody apart from Jesus Christ, it will never have the ability to penetrate the person's heart on the other end unless you have a power to write that letter and write the words that minister. Paul ministers from prison to them because prison doesn't keep people who have Christ bound up in their heart. He has found Christ and he is free. So here's what the text says. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. What happened when the church, the church at Philippi um, first started, they supported Paul financially. And so what happened, for whatever reason, there was a 10 or 12 year gap where Paul didn't receive anything. And he even acknowledges it here. I want you to notice the attitude of gratitude that he says. So recently what happened here is Epaphrodites brought him a sweet care package. Because when you're in prison, and Paul talked about it in chapter one, if you remember, he said, don't feel sorry for me being in prison because I'm here for the furtherance of the gospel. Chapter one, verses 12 through 15. So he says, the gospel's going forth, but what happens when you were thrown into prison, and I literally talked about the term, you would have to go down a stair, they would throw you into jail, is you had to have people that would bring you care packages because you couldn't go work you were in jail. So Epaphrodites brings him this sweet 
care package. I mean, he's hungry, he's in prison, he's hated because in chapter one, verses 15 through 18, it says as soon as Paul was in jail and they thought he was bound up and God couldn't use him, other pastors and preachers began to preach with envy and strife and so they hated Paul. He was hungry in jail and they wanted him to fail while he was in jail, but no possibility of that because of Christ in him. See, he knew where his source was. He knew where his strength was. So here's what happened. He gets this sweet care package and he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. It just blindsided him. That's what happens with the grace of God. When God burdens people to give, it will blindside you. And so one of the beautiful things about it, he didn't think it was coming and he was just so thankful. He just had a reason to rejoice because Paul never asked for money. He was a tent maker. He was accused of getting into the ministry, preaching the gospel for the sake of money. So he made sure that he never asked for any money. And so he knew here, the Philippians didn't do it in a response for him begging for money. This is a side note, but you need to listen. Be careful who you support on TV. There are a lot of people who support charismatic personalities on TV and they never tell you to ask God what you should give. They tell you what you should give and then they tell you if you give to them, they're gonna bless you. I got news for you. Man can't bless, man can't bless you. Don't ever let man tell you what to give. See, that's the beautiful thing about this church is God burdened their heart to give. They were living in the power of the Holy Spirit and when you live in living grace in the power of grace giving, God tells you what to give. God burdens your heart. Paul wanted them to know that, listen, it's God that's doing this and he just went on an explosion of joy. He rejoiced greatly, that's what the text says, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. The idea of the word flourish means they supported Paul before, but now it's flourished again. It's, it's like it, it's blossoming again. It's kind of like after February when we said everything's dead. All of our plants are dead. Well, if you started pruning them back, you may have messed something up because I can see stuff coming out now. It's flourished again, it's blossoming again. So what Paul is saying is, for whatever reason, the Philippians didn't have a chance to give to him, but he was not serving the Philippian church and encouraging them for what he could get from them. He was serving and encouraging them for what he could give to them. And what happens is when you get in a giving cycle like this, you begin to ask God, what does he want you to give? And then when he gives through you and he gives to you so you can be a blessing to someone else, they're gonna rejoice in it. You see, Paul already had joy. He didn't need another deposit of joy, but when he thought of the Philippians, it was so joyful to him, he greatly rejoiced. He just began to get excited about it. That your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care. In other words, they cared before, but you lacked opportunity for whatever reason. Scholars have a hard time really narrowing that. What was the reason? Were they apathetic? Were, were they under persecution? The issue is we don't know. But there was a gift package, a care package that came and Paul was in jail. He was hungry and hated and revival was taking place. It says it was a revival. Flourishing means to revive again. And so here's the important point that Paul didn't care so much about the gift. He cared for them and they cared for him. Do you know sometimes people when you can't help them financially, they'll shut you out. Paul never brought it up. 
Paul never judged them. Paul never said anything to them. He never made a cutting remark. He said, listen, what's most important to me is that you've thought of me. That's what's most important. See, that's what relationships are built on. If your relationships are measured by what you can receive from somebody tangibly, your relationships are extremely weak. They're weak. Paul wasn't in it for what they could give to him and he communicates a heart of gratitude to them. He says, listen, it's not about what you could have done or what happened back then. He said, greater than the gift is your kindness toward me. Greater than the gift is your kindness toward me. And so that's what happens when you begin to give under the umbrella of grace. You may lack opportunity at times to give, but it's not about, it's when the intersection of opportunity comes together with what God tells you in your heart and that produces that gift. But Paul says, listen, it's not about the gift, it's about your kindness. All of us have people that call us. It happens, it's called manipulation. And they kind of hint that they're struggling. And because some of us are so merciful and graceful, we give. But we, we give with a heart that has no strings attached, but they know who to call because they know how to get it out of us. That's not the way Paul was. I want you to catch that. He had a pure heart and there was pure giving that was taking place and he just acknowledged the grace of God in his life. And he understood. Listen, you guys lacked opportunity. It doesn't even matter. You care for me and I care for you. Let me give you an illustration. It's important here that we support the mission of God. And what I love about our church, I love it past tense and I love it present tense. Under Pastor John Morgan, under our new pastor, Matt Carter, we don't ever, ever talk about money. It's just not even on the radar. You don't hear us talk about money. Uh, we pass no offering plates, but guess what? People give generously and graciously here. You know why they give? Because they hear from God. And when you hear from God and God tells you what to give, you're responsible to him, not to man. So don't let these TV guys get on there and manipulate you so you give to their false teaching and false doctrine and support that around the world. You give to a place that teaches the word of God and cares for people. That's what Paul's saying. So the gospel can go worldwide. By the way, our budget's doing really good. And I don't brag on you or me or anybody else. I say that's God because we don't ever talk about money. Oh wait, you gotta, be, you gotta pass offering plates if you're gonna have your budget met. No, God meets budgets, not offering plates. He always has. It's important to know. Jeff Pemberton, Pemberton in the 1900s was a Civil War veteran. I'm still in verse 10, I'm giving you some application. You're gonna have to intersect the, the conversation with the opportunity to ask God to speak to you. In the 1900s, he was a Civil War veteran when he got back, he went in the backyard in, uh, near Atlanta, Georgia, where he lived, and he, he put this concoction together of some syrupy drink in his backyard. It's pretty good. And he went down to Jacob's Pharmacy and made a deal with them. I'll produce nine glasses of this drink for five cents a day. So that's 45 cents. Uh, that's 45 cents for the nine glasses a day, but he has to split the profit with Jacob's Pharmacy. He was a great inventor. He's a terrible businessman. Because two years later, he sold the rights of Coca-Cola for $2,300. Now listen to me. Coca-Cola has gone worldwide. You can go anywhere in the world. They may not have internet, email. They have access to Coke. Coke has penetrated 
the continent. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has not. If the gospel were Coke, we would be done. The reason that we're not done is because people don't understand the grace giving of God and how he can produce in us the ability to do what only he calls us to do. And Paul is thanking the Philippians for investing in him because he's about taking the gospel to the world from jail. He's in a prison and he's thanking them because he's got his world that he's wanting to get the gospel out to. That's verse 10. Now look what he says in verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul didn't always know this. The word learned means just that. It's a learned lesson. He was not always content. Remember, he was the Pharisee of all Pharisees. He had everything. He never needed anything. He had everything at the lap of his own luxury, and that's how he grew up. But here's what happened in chapter three. He lost it all in order to, and he found Christ. So here's what he writes now. He has learned this. He says this, not that I speak in regard to need, the word need or want, he's making it very clear here. I want you to know that the Philippians, I never asked them for any money. God burdens hearts to give. I did not have a need for money. I did not want money, but God laid it on their heart and they gave me a gift, which I'm grateful for. But he says this, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The word content here means to be independent of circumstances. That's what it means. And the Greek Stoic philosophers, in this day, what they would teach their kids, they would say, listen, grow up and be content. I want you to grow up, son, and I want you to be content. And what they meant by content was different than what Paul meant. What they meant by content is don't let anyone help you. Don't be dependent on anyone or anything. And I want you to grow up, son. I want you to be a man and be content and not depend on anything. Paul means just the opposite. He says, I don't live my life independently. I live my life in total dependence to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he means by content. That's what Paul says, I have learned to be content. In other words, yes, circumstances don't dictate my contentment. Christ is my sufficiency. Christ is my contentment. And I am so okay with that. So I am independent of circumstances. I'm chained to a Roman guard. I've got contentment there. I am totally content. Contentment has washed over my life. Not because I'm independent. I am dependent on Jesus. And he produces contentment in my life. That's what Paul is saying. So when we think of attempt, a contentment, we think of it as something that we can achieve. Well, I'll be content if I get this kind of house. I'll preach to myself. I'll be content if I can really retire in five, five or six years. That'll bring contentment. Oh, I'm engaged now, but when I get, I'm, I'm not content, but when I get married, I'm gonna really be content. Oh, please go see our counseling office, would you? I'll pay for it. Listen, you must be content in who you are right now, no matter what your circumstances are. Because external circumstances don't determine your contentment. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, whatever state I am in, I am absolutely content. It's not about achieving things in order to receive contentment. It's about receiving Christ. Not achievement, but receiving Christ. That's what he's saying. 
So we can't get anything from contentment from external happenings. Paul says it's received. So biblical contentment, if you want to write this down, happens when you're in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's biblical contentment. It's just that simple. That's biblical contentment. So you learn to be content without anything externally changing. Nothing has to change externally for you and for me tonight in order to be content. Now, if I'm not content, guess what the other option is? You can live dissatisfied for the rest of your life. You can be miserable, dissatisfied. Because dissatisfaction means that I don't have faith and sufficiency in the God who says he deposits contentment in my life. That's what he's saying here. So when I was in high school, I wasn't very content. I bought a 1979 Firebird. It was sweet. 403 headers, uh, blue metallic, gold rims. Found it on, in the paper of all things. That's what we had back then was a paper. I bought the Firebird, mowed a lot of yards, paid cash for it, $5,000. I wasn't content with just a firebird with blue metallic. I had to have T-tops because all of my friends had T-tops. So I thought contentment was something you achieved. So what I did was the foolish, most stupid thing that I've ever done, and that's had a company cut a hole in the top of my vehicle and put T-tops in, and it leaked ever since. Now, what idiot would, would ask a company to, I want T, oh, sure, we can do T-tops. What, what, we'll just saw it off, cut it off, throw them in, it'll be fine. Well, I wasn't even content with T-tops. I had to have a Kenwood stereo system with a booster with a needle at night that lit up in yellow so it would go to the right with the thumb. Not only that, when I would come up to a stop sign, I wanted people to see not tires that were black, I wanted them to see white raised letters when I pulled up to them with my T-tops so we could race. And I never was content, because I thought contentment was, the more I get, the more I'll be content. Here's what, Christ, here's what Paul says. When you get Christ, you have all you need in contentment. You don't need more of him, you've got all of him. People say, give me more of Jesus, you have him. You can't get any more than he already gave you, he gave you himself. Not in installments in his life, he gave by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says you can be content. So that's what he's talking about here. He says, I have learned to be content. Contentment is not circumstance dependent. Paul said to the Philippians, he learned to be content regardless of circumstances. So contentment is not a statement about my situation, it's a statement about my sufficiency in a situation. My sufficiency is in Christ. I have enough. Don't confuse contentment with complacency. Contentment is gratitude for what Jesus has done for me. Complacency is an attitude. So Paul says, I've learned to be content. Now, the person who is discontent can never be godly because that means a lack of faith in the sufficiency of God. So contentment, picture this. The word contentment means I keep my hand in his hand. It's a perfect illustration of a father's son. When you see a father who's got a superior hand and a bigger hand, and all of a sudden that child puts that small hand in that big hand, and they connect together, that's being hand in hand, that's being content. Because the child knows as long as my hand is in a bigger hand, in a badder hand, I don't have anything to worry about, I'm just gonna hold on. And daddy knows as he walks that his hand is superior to junior's hand and he can handle anything that comes junior's way. And that's the picture of contentment. It's hand in hand with Jesus Christ because of his grace. That's what it means. Paul said, hey, I didn't always know this, but joy flows out of contentment, 
Peace flows out of contentment. All the things we looked at last week in verses eight and nine flow out of a contented heart. Let me ask you a question. Are you content tonight? Are you just content in who you are in Jesus Christ? I hope you are. I hope you can say like Paul, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content because he is sufficient in me and it's realizing it doesn't matter where I am. Contentment is not what I have, it's who I have. It's who I have. Look what he says in the next verse. It just flows in the text. Here's what he says in verse 13. Now you won't get to verse 13 unless you pass by 10, 11, and 12. All right? So don't just claim this one out of context. Oh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. There's no students in here, but at 11.45 p.m., if you have a paper due at 9 a.m., you can't claim this verse. Oh, I'll just, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. God says, no, you should have been prepared. He's not gonna give you enough caffeine and enough wisdom to type faster so that you can produce the paper by nine. That's not what he's saying here. See, if you're never content, you'll never have this kind of power. Here's what he's saying. I can do, here's what the text, excuse me, verse 12, I'm, I skipped one. Verse 12, I know how to be abased, live high, and I know, uh, excuse me, live low, and I know how to be abound. Paul says, I know this whole spectrum of being high, being low. That's what he says. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be both full. The word full means to have more than enough. It means an animal who has eaten enough, but is also satisfied by what he's eaten. That's what it means. So Paul says, I know what it's like to be full. And I know what it's like to be hungry. He was in jail, both to abound and to suffer need. So that's what Paul says in verse 12. Then he comes to verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Now, look at the verse. I can, it doesn't say I think I can. It says I can, I can do. So put it together, I can I can do. The, the idea of that phrase means there's an inherent strength that you and I have available. If Jesus lives in us and has given us contentment in him, then I have the power inside of me, whether I ever use that power or not, doesn't matter, but it's inside of me. So I can do, not what my flesh can do, but I can do, meaning you gotta put it all together. So this is inherent strength. This is, uh, that's what the word would mean here. The phrase would mean in the Greek would mean an inward strength, the ability to take care of any situation physically, emotionally, or spiritual. There's a power in me. I can do, all right? And then he says this, I can do all things. The word all means all, okay? All things, that's what it means. So I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So the idea is this, that, it, that, that the word strength means I have the ability inside of me to do it, okay? So I can do all these things in Christ in Christ, I'm in Christ, I'm not outside of Christ, he's deposited contentment not outside of me, he's deposited contentment inside of me, so I can do, I can get up and say I can do all things, because I have a power that's available to me. I don't have to use that power, but it's there. All I have to do is yield to it, say yes to it, surrender to that power, I can do. Yeah, because Christ has done everything for me. He has paid the ultimate price that gives me the ability to understand that it's inherent strength. He has put power in my life and he's put it in your life in Jesus Christ. He's put power into you. You say, I can't do, yes you can. You've got a power available to you that's not your own. 
When you have a fight with your wife, your husband, that's your flesh. That's not Christ. Look at Ephesians 5. Christ will tell you what his power will do, Ephesians 5. And we've all yielded to the flesh and not the spirit. So Paul says, I can do all things which strengthens. Not only does Christ give us the ability, but the word strengthens means he puts us on display in the midst of a world that's looking for a power that's greater than ourselves. So he has the ability to give us the power to do what we can't do. And then the word strengthened means he puts us on display as the ability to do what only he can do. Because he lets people see us either respond in the flesh or respond in the spirit. So that's what he says here. So it's kind of like this. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. That's the kind of power we have. It's like taking a glass, knocking out the bottom, and having this power just flow through. It's not like I have to go take the glass and fill it up again and keep the bottom in, and and when I get empty, I fill it up again. That's not the kind of power we have. The kind of power we have is the kind of power like drinking from a fire hydrant, and it's like knocking the bottom out of the bottle of the glass, and it's flowing through us. It's moving through us, this power that's available. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul's in prison. What a great place to prove his point. I can do all things. He's in prison, chained to a Roman soldier. They do shift work, and they would say this. Whoever's on the next shift, see if you can get rescheduled because you don't want to be chained to him for eight hours because he's proving that he can do all things through Christ, which strengthens him. He's going to talk to you about the efficacy of the blood. He's going to talk to you about Jesus. And if you get chained to him for eight hours and that's all you hear, you're going to go nuts. It's better if you tell your boss, I'm not going. That's what Paul's saying. That's what, that's what the text is saying. You gotta get the context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The word through means in him, in him. That's what he's talking about here. So let me see if I can give you a picture of this and we'll move quickly. You probably heard this story. It was, uh, it was years ago. I, I read this story and I kind of kept it. But there was a man who was visiting the World's Fair and from a distance, he's looking and he sees this, this man in a brilliant gold suit. And next to him, he sees like a, a pump and an, and an arm connected to the pump. And so it looks like the man is kind of pumping uh, the water and it's gushing out. And so this visitor is looking from a distance and he's saying, man, that's, that's pretty cool. And so the visitor, he gets a little closer and he realizes that that's not really what the picture is. The man is really pumping that water, but when you move closer, it's not, that, it's not a man, it's a dummy. And the dummy, is t- his arm is tied to a pump. And so the idea was his, his arm was tied to the pump, which was operated by electricity. So he discovered that the man was not pumping the water, the water was pumping him. Now listen. People see us from a distance. They see us from a distance and say, man, that, that guy really has power for God. But the closer they get, they realize that we aren't pumping out this power. That power is pumping us. That power, I can do all things through Christ. It's pumping me. It's pumping you. We're not pumping out any power from God. It is pumping us. Beautiful, Paul. Thank you for that. That's encouragement because I am content just like that. Let's move to the next verse. Here's what he says. Verse 14, he says this. Nevertheless, you have have done well. The word, the phrase for done well, 
you would think that the phrase he would have used in the Greek would be one that means benevolent good because they had given to him. It's not what it means. It's another word that he chooses. And here's what it points to. It points to the pure giver who is Christ. Paul says, nevertheless, because he wanted to remind them, I'm not the one that told you to give to me. Christ did it. So when he says, nevertheless, you have done well, he's pointing to the purity of the gift that came from the purity of God's Holy Spirit, convicting them to give. And so all the praise goes to God for that. You have done well. He's basically saying, you've done a beautiful thing for me. And I know Christ did it. He burdened your heart. He says that you have shared with me in my distress. Shared in my distress. The word distress means to be squeezed. It means to feel pain and anguish. And because they were in partnership in the gospel, they felt Paul's pain. That's what he's saying. Then he says this, verse 15 and 16, and we'll close. Now you Philippians also know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Here's what Paul's saying. We're in partnership together. Do you know what that, that's what the gospel is. It's a partnership. It's not built by pastors and staffs. It's built by partnering with us together for the gospel's sake. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. He said, we're in a relationship of giving and receiving. He says, I, I deposit into your life and you deposit into my life. I inspire you. You inspire me. You bless me greatly. I rejoice in that. You encourage me. I encourage you. It's not a one-sided relationship. I want to say this. Be careful about one-sided relationships. Check your contact list and see how many times that person that you call calls you. I'll preach to myself. If I have to, I will. I've, I've downsized my contact list because I know certain people when they call, they want something. They don't want to talk to me. They want what I can do for them. Paul's not that way. Listen, he says this. We're in a giving and receiving relationship. That's what he says here. Now, let me tell you what's beautiful about this. In their culture, Greco-Roman culture, that's the talk of friendship. And do you know one of the things that friends didn't do back then? They never said thank you because they didn't have to, because they were in a giving and receiving relationship. In other words, you would give to me, I would give to you. You would give to me again, I would give to you. You would give to me, I would give to you. If someone gave a big gift that you couldn't match, guess what that meant? They didn't want to be your friend because you couldn't match it. Think about that. So Paul says, listen, we're in a reciprocal relationship together. No church has shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. I'll tell you this. This is right. This is accurate. I can prove it. Sagemont Church has given to people that no one else has ever or will ever give to. And we have given again and again. And once again and again. We help people, we serve people, we give money to go across the world, we give money to go to state missions, we give money to go to local missions. We are in a giving-receiving partnership, and that's a beautiful thing because when you don't have any debt, and you can thank John Morgan for being obedient here, when you don't have any debt, when, when you give and I give, there's no telling what we can do together in partnership of giving and receiving. So think about this. I'll close with this illustration. 
In their culture, when Paul says this, giving and receiving, they wouldn't say thank you because it wasn't cool. It was expected in a mutual, reciprocal relationship that it wasn't one-sided. Be careful that you don't have one-sided friends. Be careful. So if, if I had somebody come to pick me up at Hobby Airport, this is an illustration for this text, and, and, and I didn't know them, I, I would probably say, if somebody said, hey, I'll get somebody to come get you, I would probably say, oh, I wanna thank you so much. You sacrifice, thank you. So, thank. I would just go overboard and overboard. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. But if my wife came to pick me up, I don't have to say thank you because she knows in her heart because we're in a mutual giving, receiving relationship. I don't have to say thank you, she knows it. God's put us together. Now, she might say, did I really have an option when she shows up? And I'm like, no, you didn't. But you see what Paul's doing here? He's telling the Philippians, we're in relationship together. We love each other. We're in, I'm giving, I'm depositing, you're depositing. We're doing this together. We're in a reciprocal giving and receiving relationship. It's back and forth. It flows by the Spirit of God. You give to me, I give to you. It just flows. Be careful of one-sided relationships. Some of you are being burned by one-sided relationships, and that's not the relationships in the Bible. They're reciprocal. Paul is grateful because he says it's a giving and receiving relationship. But you only... You're the only church that ever supported me. And you know what? The gospel went forth while Paul was in prison. Because people outside were hoping he would get worse, but he's content. He may be hated, he may be hungry, but God's using him. Because we'll find out next week, the gospel went all the way to the top because the people he was chained to were part of the high-end people that needed to hear it. And he even at the end says he greets the saints. They say we greet the saints. You'll see it next week. So here's what I want to say to you in closing. Yield to his power. Yield to his power. If you have Christ, you have all you need. When you wake up in the morning, say, Lord, I don't know what this day holds, but I know you hold this day. I'm going to have opportunities to bless people. I'm going to have opportunities for you to use me. But if I don't walk in the power of the spirit, I'm going to yield to my flesh and I'm going to miss the blessing that's right in front of my face. So God, do through me what I can't do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's a 200% relationship, 100% my cooperation and surrender to him. 100% his power. When you put those two together, you have a dynamic relationship. Would you pray with me? Father, we come by the power of the Holy Spirit. What a blessing to look at chapter four together, to understand that Paul takes dead aim. And I just pray for my own heart tonight that I know I missed the mark. I know sometimes I'm not content because circumstances happen. And sometimes those circumstances draw me in and draw others in in this room. And we think we 
owe these circumstances some sort of privilege. But yet, independent of circumstances, I, I need to be content in you and so do the people in this room. And the reason we can do that is because you paid it all. You did everything you needed to do on the cross of Calvary and rising on the third day and going to the right hand of the Father and coming soon, Lord Jesus, quickly come. That there's no way we have to live as the world to say, give us more, 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 more stuff. Because we've been set free on the inside. We've all been in a prison of our own making. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But by your grace, you've deposited your beautiful life in us that's a giving life, it's a living life, it's a grace-filled life, it's an understanding life, it's a benevolent life, it's a giving, receiving life, and all that comes from you. So may you do, may you just kind of splash out of us so that people around us know, like Paul, that the prison we're in doesn't keep us bound. We love you tonight. I pray for anybody that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, that they would find contentment in you tonight, trusting you as Savior and as Lord. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.